the most jarring questions I've ever had uh, myself asked or me asked. I don't know how to put that. Anyway, um, it was by a a dear friend of mine who was a spiritual director uh, for a brief period of time, uh, Brennan Manning. He's written many books, and he passed away about, uh, let's see, six, five or six years ago. But he asked me this question, and it always kind of jarred me. Uh, and it was, if you really believed that you were God's beloved, how would you be different today? And that's some of what I want to talk about. I, I know that uh, the emphasis of this podcast, given the, um, the title... Uh, is the love you later by and I wanted to talk about the importance of lament and loss in our lives and and um, how we can lean into that to find meaning and purpose and and uh, all of that but I, I think we have to also talk about uh, this idea of being God's beloved and whether or not we actually believe that now the, the challenge is believing and what believing actually looks like. Uh, but that being said, uh, before I get rolling too quickly here, let me real quickly um, uh, introduce the podcast for people that are new, listening new. Um, my name is Dr. Ray Mitch. I'm a psychology professor at Colorado Christian University. And you are listening to the Love You Later by podcast, that what I'm calling the Psych Monologues. And uh, we are talking about, as I said a minute ago, just uh, various topics related to uh, loss and grief and uh, the important to- life lessons that I think we can talk about in a variety of ways. The reality is in the world that we're in and the way that we're living right now, just during our current experiences, we're confronted on a daily basis virtually with losses and changes and things that challenge our equilibrium, our emotional equilibrium, uh, if we're willing to admit it or we're willing to be honest enough to look at it. And we, we really can't get away from it. We've been through three or four months of, of a pandemic that is virtually confined us all to our our homes uh, and uh, relegated us to to doing video phone calls with with each other which robs us of of the sense of of personal connection with people and so there's all of that that we're trying to recover from in some respects moving into the summer and I thought tonight would be a good time to talk a little bit about this idea of living as God's beloved and it, it is a topic that I spend a fair amount of time talking about. Uh, other people, like I mentioned, that talk about it as well is it would be uh, Henry Nowen, uh, who wrote the book uh, Home Tonight and the, and the Return of the Prodigal and um, The Wounded Healer and a number of other uh, um, more spiritual formation oriented books. And then, of course, Brandon Manning did as well. And, and I mentioned to you at the top of the podcast uh, the question that Brennan would ask me, and that is if I actually believed um, that I was God's beloved, how would my day be different or my relationships be different if I behaved as if I were uh, God's beloved? 
And usually when this topic comes up and whenever I'm talking about it, uh, before too long, somebody uh, looks at me and says, okay, I, I, can, I can buy the question. I can move into uh, that, that space and, and think a little bit about it. But how do I go about doing this? How, how, how is the question of the hour that seems to uh, uh, show up over and over and over again? And that question has a way of betraying what we're really after because it, it, it has a presumption underneath it. When I ask how, all right, somebody describes for me a state of being or a way that I should think about things or I should believe about things, whether it's about me or anything else, usually the way that I go about wrapping my head around it is asking a method question. In other words, what steps do I need to take in order to accomplish this thing that you're talking about in terms of being God's beloved? Okay. And, and the, the, the wonder of that is when I ask the question, how, I'm asking, how do I get to being? <laughs> Which is kind of a strange twist, really. Because it's the how question so often connects up with, what do I do to become something? Which is, again, a mixed metaphor. I want to cultivate and become something I want to be something and yet I'm asking you to tell me the steps by which I arrive there however that would be and see that essentially the underlying presumption is is that if you give me the formula and I follow that formula or steps or process whatever it is that you want to talk about and then I will live as God's beloved And see, the other target in here that we have to contend with when we're talking about being God's beloved or believing that we are God's beloved is this whole idea of believing. I mean, if I were to watch my behavior on any given day, I would say that what I believe does not match what I say I believe. Because, for example, I, 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 would, I could ask a lot of people and i say, are you God's beloved? And they would say, yes. But if I were to follow them around with a video camera and turn down the volume and just follow them around and watch their interactions with people and all of those things and maybe even interview them at the end and hear their thoughts about how the day went or whatever, I'm not sure I would find a lot of evidence for that. So we've managed to separate our behavior from our belief. And by so doing, we've created what I have often talked about in terms of the stained glass self. I have created the appearance of being God's beloved, but behind the stained glass, I I believe something entirely differently. I believe that I am deserving of punishment. I'm deserving of, because I'm such a, a, a... a loser or I I can't do anything right or I'm never enough or whatever that might be. So whenever we lean into the way in which we do things, we lean into more of stained glass living. On the other hand, when we lean into 
becoming, then we're leaning into a relationship. And that relationship takes time. It takes trust. It takes um, commitment. It takes uh, presence. It takes a number of different things that are all relationally grounded or anchored. But yet they can't be they, they, they can't be measured or quantified. It's not really how what steps do I need to take to get there. It's what kind of relationship do I need to cultivate to produce this thing called being God's beloved. So I think we have to talk about uh, two different perspectives. If we're going to talk about this at all, one is an internal perspective. And then the second one is really the external perspective. And then finally, where we land is, is, okay, how do I move forward here? And the overarching concept that we have to wrestle with is one that I have talked about before, I believe, on this podcast. And, and it's my assertion that control and trust cannot coexist. And so if, if I want to cultivate the being God's beloved, then I'm not going to control myself into doing it. The, the steps. Now, that doesn't mean I don't make choices. It doesn't mean I don't, uh, uh, that I, I do things differently. That doesn't mean that at all. But the question is, is where do, if I, if I choose something or I behave in a particular way, from where is that coming? Is it something that I put on and I hope that it will change my interior? Or is there something that I have cultivated interiorly that it, it now produces this behavior that people now see? And that's where the challenge comes in. So let me start with the external perspective first. And the external perspective is that if I actually believed that I was God's beloved, how would it change how I behave and how I relate to people. And, and if we're going we're gonna to define that, maybe what we can do is say, well, who is the best model or who is the best example of being God's beloved? Now, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll converge our two topics because I've been talking about loss as kind of the underlying um, theme of a podcast like this. But... It, the, the interesting thing to pay attention to here is that Jesus was God's beloved. God was very, very specific about that fact. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So he, he was God's beloved. And if we watch how he interacts with people, we might get a clue about what impact it has on the external aspects of being God's beloved. Now, let me, let me take you to an example of that that will bring in this perspective around grief and loss. And that is the death of Jesus' friend, Lazarus. The one thing I will... I will note for you is that being God's beloved does not spare us from grief and loss. It, Jesus was not spared of it. We know based on Jesus's life is that his Joseph died. So he had already experienced the pain of death and loss 
and grief in his own family. So here we are again, later in Jesus' ministry, and his, he is off in uh, Cana, if, I, if I'm remembering this right. And his friends, you know, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus to say, your, your, your friend is sick, uh, come quickly. And Jesus says to his disciples, we will go soon enough. And, uh, and then uh, at some point in time, four days later, Jesus, or two days later, or whatever the travel time would be, uh, Jesus says, it's time to go because our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, the disciples being the disciples, a little uh, thick-headed, they thought, well, what, what's the big deal? Everybody sleeps. Uh, but little did they know that, that Lazarus had actually died. So by the time they get there, Jesus is confronted with a reality that he already knows exists. He knows that Lazarus is dead. He knows that. So he's walking into this situation, and the the one thing that uh, virtually everybody can say they memorized a, a Bible verse, and that is Jesus wept. Okay, that doesn't quite capture it because of the context in which it occurs, and and so Jesus, and, and we're told in Isaiah that he is a man acquainted with grief, with sorrow. So he walks into this situation somewhat anticipating, I would think, as most people would do. I, Jesus was human. Why wouldn't he do that? He has a greater level of knowledge of anticipation because he knows what's coming. But Martha and Mary each interact with him very, very differently. Martha being very in character, goes out to him, sticks a, a, a finger in his chest and says, you know what, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. And, and uh, so she goes out, confronts Jesus straight up, and Jesus is hearing that. And then secondarily, Mary comes running up, falls at his feet, says exactly the same thing to Jesus. And, and then we see this eruption of emotion from Jesus. So what does this tell us about being God's beloved? What that tells us is being God's beloved in the external sense provides us with a level of freedom to show what's really going on in our hearts. Because when you look at scripture and you look at the words that, that John, the gospel writer, was using, this was a emotional eruption. It doesn't quite capture it when it just says, Jesus wept. I mean, that, that, that's so two-dimensional. But Jesus, knowing what he's doing, why, why would there be such an emotional eruption? And I would suggest to you that the freedom of being God's beloved allows us to enter into the grief and pain of others without being overwhelmed by it. That I can do that. I can walk with them through it with, without making it my own, but yet still being connected to it. And that's that's the balancing point of being a part of people's lives and and sitting with them in their pain and experiencing that so being god's beloved and knowing fully who he was in relationship to his abba gave him the freedom to be fully who he was in that moment and allow emotions to be seen to to hear others complaints about you know what he should have could have 
done, even though he knew what he was probably planning. He didn't probably. He knew what he was going to do. And yet he had the security of his relationship of being God's beloved to be able to even take people's misunderstood accusations at him to say, you know, you could have prevented this. As a matter of fact, that's that's an entirely within our context, isn't it? Because when things go wrong, we say, "Well, God, if you if you were powerful enough, you could have prevented this from happening," or maybe you're just so weak that you don't care anymore, or you don't care anymore. And see, being God's beloved anchors our sense of our relationship with others to be free to be fully who we are, without. You know, the, the self-evaluation of shame and all the other things that go with it. So the external perspective, and then we know the rest of the story, and he calls Lazarus out, and he is raised from the dead, and, and, and uh, the story moves on from there. What about the internal perspective? Well, the internal perspective is a little bit different, simply because the internal perspective is more about what, we, what internal narrative we engage in on a daily basis. So there, in order to see the behavior that we saw in Jesus, there had to be some internal perspective that, that uh, allowed that behavior to be seen, for that to be displayed the way it was. And see, these two things are, are interconnected because whatever goes on in my internal narrative will come out in my external behavior or relationships with others. Now, that doesn't mean that if I say I'm such a loser, I can't ever do anything right, I'm, I'm never going to be able to measure up whatever the narrative is, and I'm awful, and I'm terrible, and I'm a worse friend, and all the other things I talked about in the other podcast, is that going to show up in my relationship with other people? Well, it could. It certainly could. Because if I believe those things about me, then I spend most of my time trying to manage their perceptions of me so they don't come to the same conclusions that I do. You see how connected these things are? So the internal narrative that I have about myself in terms of my abilities, my flaws, my shortcomings, my strengths, all of that stuff informs and drives the behaviors we see. The only hitch in that, or the only kind of uh, variation on that point is, is that when I, uh, when I create my stained glass, I can create the appearance of something that does not exist, and I fully hope and intend that people will buy the appearance over the reality that I'm living with on the other side of that glass. And that's, that's the backdrop to being God's beloved. So we've got the internal perspective, the internal dialogue or narrative that we entertain. And then you have the external manifestations and displays of that. And oftentimes we will react and interact with people the way we hope they want to be treated, not the way I treat myself, which is an interesting thought because that's exactly what Jesus said in the uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. It was love your neighbor as yourself, right? But we don't do that because if we actually treated our neighbor the way we treat ourselves, it wouldn't be real pretty, I don't think. 
So how do we land this plane then? Because it's not about what steps do I take. It is what, what state do I cultivate within myself that will begin to produce this kind of behavior, this kind of freedom. I wouldn't even say behavior. This kind of freedom to be fully me, fully present, fully able to display my emotions, display my thoughts and feelings toward other people, uh, display my concerns and my confusion and my certainties and all of that with other people, knowing full well that I have cultivated a sense of being fully who God says I am. Which leads us to the final thing, and that is how do you willfully make yourself believe? And the simple answer is you don't. Because belief is built on trust. And if I've spent all of my time trying to control my behavior so that I'm acceptable to God, there, there, I, I've, already, I've already indicated that I don't trust him. Because I'm saying, I, I, I've got to engage in this, this trade with you. I'll do all the kind of behaviors and say all the right things and behave all the right ways. I know that's redundant, but bear with me. Um, I will do all of these things in trade for your blessing, your love for me, your grace, fill in the blank. We are intransigent in being trade-based. Why? Because we don't want to feel in debt. And as crazy as it sounds, we don't want to be in debt to God either. Grace makes us uncomfortable because it is such an overwhelming, lavish, ravaging kind of gift that we can't even begin to reach it. So we reduce it to a trade and say, I will do this if you will do that to God. And we, will, we do that even in this thing called becoming God's beloved or believing or living out being God's beloved. And it takes practice, I grant you that, which means behavioral things. But some of the behavior has to start with what we do with our own hearts and the, you know, our, the level of self-condemnation and accusation we engage in in our own hearts and working on that. And being able to live with our flaws, with grace, because when we do that, then our then then we find the freedom that we were intended to have anyway. We were intended to be free, and that was the intent of of uh, of what God was up to by having Jesus come at all, and that's and that's the backdrop to what we're talking about here. So when somebody says to me, "How do I become God's beloved?" If I'm really going to be snarky, I'm going to say, you can't. Because you can't behave your way into being something. You can engage in the kind of relationship that moves into trusting God's heart for us. Trusting all that he has under control. Most of it being things I don't understand and can't understand. And living in the freedom of that rather than beset by all the worries and concerns and 
<clears throat> other things that are kind of living in the back of my head about what could be or should be and how I should be and what kind of good friend I, it, this looks like or what a good Christian looks like or whatever that, whatever that narrative is, to resting in the, the gracious love of our Abba that calls us into this freedom. And over time and over a willingness to lean into that, behaviors start to show. My willingness to enter into other people's grief without trying to fix it or give them a, a, a quick steps of, of getting through it. I can live with them in it and not make it my own, like I said earlier, and walk with them through that. And that's, that's a loving thing to do. It is a self-sacrificial thing to do. It is oriented on the other, not on me. And that all is part of growing and moving into living out this thing that we're talking about here as being God's beloved. So the question is, how do I cultivate it? What do I do to cultivate it? And I think we can't give away that which we don't own. And if I don't spend any time looking at my own heart enough to know it and understand the landscape of it, then how in the world can I possibly think that I can give this away to anyone else? And that's, that's, what's, that's what is the way to do it. It's a journey. It is not a 12-step program. It is a journey of trust and willingness to move into it and a willingness to live with the uncertainty of not doing it quite right, whatever that is, because that's usually another voice and allowing myself to grow into it that way. And that is the journey into becoming God's beloved. There is not a step, steps to take. Well, that's it for tonight. Welcome to uh, the Love You Later by the podcast. A uh, couple reminders. I, I got word that uh, apparently for folks that might be interested in partnering with us to provide and begin to build up a scholarship fund to, for CCU students to participate in a silent retreat, uh, it wasn't working. Uh, the GoFundMe site, I think I've gotten everything figured out and worked out. So now if you want to you can certainly give to that and uh, begin to build up our our resources that would allow us to to send ccu students to uh, a silent retreat coming up this fall and um, next spring and and the years beyond uh, please be sure to uh, hit the website uh, and subscribe to the podcast i will continue to be doing these as topics uh, begin to press in on my on my heart to be to sit here and talk about for a half an hour or so. So drmitch.com is the website to visit. You can subscribe in the upper right-hand corner. Or if you want to just subscribe to the podcast itself, go to podbean.raymitch.com and you can uh, subscribe there. They have an app uh, when a podcast gets released. You'll get notified and you can listen in uh, to that uh, as well. The other thing I'll mention to you is is that, um, and and I say this with some reservation, 
is that if the podcast is helpful and it's encouraging and you've enjoyed it and there are things that you learn, please pass it on. Please let other people know. Invite them to listen as well. Uh, as the old um, saw goes, the more the merrier. Uh, and I would uh, uh, enjoy having uh, the privilege of, of talking to uh, people that you feel like would be encouraged by some of the things I might have to say during this time. So please uh, consider uh, passing it along to other folks that you know, the link, the podcast, etc. I will be working on getting it up and running on iTunes, which will make it even more broadly available through uh, the podcast app in the Apple platform. Uh, Podbean has an app that is available on bo- all platforms. So please join me there as well. And thanks for joining me tonight, June 24th. Love you. Later. Bye.